Hello, this is Mark Bryan, otherwise known as Double O, and you're listening to Left Coast Pirate. seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead. Gardemeyer Chefu gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around and in. And a foul! Whitehead ties the game! Pow! From Trenton! Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes! From just west of the Ward Place Gate in San Diego, California, he is Mike Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. Welcome to this week's edition of Left Coast Pirates. We're coming to you a little bit early. It's December 23rd, 2021. Mikey, Merry Christmas, my friend. Merry Christmas to you too, Tommy. But I think you got to get your priorities straight. What is this family vacation? So we got to do the podcast early. I can't oh. wait, man. This is the first time we're going up to Mammoth Mountain in, I don't know, 13, 14 years, man. It's going to be great. It's dumping right now. It's it's raining here in San Diego. I just got an advisory saying that they're expecting 27 inches in Mammoth. I'm excited. Uh, that, that, that's good. I uh, hope you and your family have a, a safe but but Merry Christmas. Uh, but I think Christmas for us came a little bit early, Tom. You know, we've always said we've had milestones and goals relative to what we've accomplished with the podcast and what else we'd like to do. And uh, all kidding aside, I think we checked off one of those boxes this week. <laughs> we got invited as the guest on somebody else's podcast. So I want to throw a big thank you out to Chris Pazis of Courtside Pirates. He had us on the other day, and we, we talked a whole bunch of uh, Seton Hall basketball topics for what's coming down the pipe, what has already happened this year, and even took a, a high-level perspective of Kevin Willard and where the program has gone and, and what they've accomplished. So a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed it. First time that kind of we had to do it kind of off the cuff is somebody else's show. We normally kind of have all of our notes prepared and ready to put together what we think is a, a quality episode. So I'm kind of a little nervous to see what comes out on the other side of that episode. You know, it was a lot of fun. We, I was quite honored that Chris even asked us to come on. You know, I jokingly said to him, why do you want a pair of losers like us, man? What, what, you can go get a real guess at a guest, man. I don't know. I mean, maybe we're developing a reputation. I don't know if that's good or bad. Oh, I don't know what kind of reputation we've got, Michael. All right, Tommy. So you're heading up to hit the slopes, but what else do you want for Christmas? Oh, you know, I just want the kids to be excited. I I get a big kick watching them open up their gifts. I'm a big T-shirt guy, Mike. I just want my my latest and greatest fun T-shirt, and I'll be excited. All right, I'm going to be a little more selfish. I don't, I don't care what my kids get. How about that? <laughs> I, I want Seton Hall to not have to pause for COVID-19 again. And when Amen. I say again, I mean ever again, Tommy, if that's at all possible. But I don't know, man. Vaccination statuses, different variants. I mean, the direction of leadership, whether it's the conference or the NCAA, I just don't know if that's even a fair thing to ask Santa to bring me this year. That's what I'm hoping for. I, I, a straight run to March with no more pauses and a full slate of college basketball games that the Pirates are involved in. Is, is that too much to ask for? I certainly hope that Santa brings exactly what you want. So, I mean, I, th this was a frustrating week. I mean, we were supposed to have the the two games between St. John's and DePaul, and obviously those games didn't happen. I know you were, you were kind of on the side rooting to see who was going to take the court for the Pirates in that I, game against the Paul, huh? I, I don't know, man. I would have been really interested in seeing. I mean, there were a whole lot of rumors out there, which we won't repeat because we don't have it verified about who'd be out and who'd be in. I, maybe it's a darkness in me, Mike. I'd love to see something. I'd love to see the adjustments that Kevin Willard would have had to have made. Were you throwing a little sarcasm out there? I couldn't uh, pick up on the little, sarcasm. Just a little. All right. 
Well, th- this is a tough week because outside of Seton Hall and Big East starting conference play, you had a lot of the other top 25 teams just kind of wrapping up their non-conference slate with a bunch of cupcakes. So normally I'm getting excited once Seton Hall cracks the top 25 to see can they move up and see how much time I can steal on the podcast talking about who won and who lost. But, you know, it, it was a slow week. You had Alabama lost at home to Davidson. You had Arizona, uh, who was sixth ranked in the poll, take their first loss in a tough road environment versus 19 Tennessee. Uh, I just don't see a lot of movement from the voters this week. Seton Hall should probably overtake Alabama and move up to 14. And then their upcoming opponents, I think they're going to kind of be somewhere in that 20 to 22 range. You got, you know, Providence will probably stay at 22. Uh, after Nova, who was 23, beat number, number 18 Xavier. I see them maybe jumping ahead, maybe getting back to 20 on reputation, and maybe Providence just staying right where they were. I, I don't see a lot of other movement besides that. But that gives us a top 25 matchup as we get back into play or hopefully get back into play as Seton Hall plays their first actual on-court conference game this year. You know, think about this outside of the COVID pause. What an exciting season so far. You had Michigan, you had Ohio State, you had Texas, all these ranked teams. And now we've got ranked teams in the Big East. These are really important games. When's the last time you had a feeling like this about our schedule? I, you know, I like last year's schedule. I thought last year's schedule had a lot of opportunities. Just missed them all. <laughs> I mean, come on. All right? well, they're, they're... <laughs> uh, and, and, and look, that's not fair. I, I think Kevin has done a really good job of giving the team opportunities in the non-conference over the last several years. Uh, and the Big East has had some ups and downs. They've had some years where they've had teams consistently in the top 25. Last year was not one of them. Uh, that's why I root for the non-conference and, and all the Big East teams out there to do well. I know you you take a different stance than me on this. We'll probably talk about that as we get into the, the back end of this episode with Nova, but I'm rooting for all those teams to be undefeated top 25. So when it comes to conference play, you have opportunities to make up for a misstep. You, you said it. Everything that you expect to happen in Big East play is not going to go down that way. So for every game that you think you're going to win, you're going to stub your toe and you want opportunities to make up the differential. So this year it's going to be, you know, littered across the conference schedule. And here's the first one right out of the gate ranked on the road against a solid Big East conference opponent. I'm excited. No, this is really exciting. And what better way to preview the upcoming game against the Providence Friars than going behind enemy lines and finding out what we can expect. He is a sports writer for the Providence Journal covering the Red Sox, University of Rhode Island basketball, and much, much more. Please welcome back to Left Coast Pirates, Bill Koch. Bill, how are you today? Tom, I'm great. Thanks for having me again, Mike. Hope you're well, too. I, I think Tom's beat up by the uh, the Christmas Day crowds at the local stores. That was that was a little tame for you there, Tom. Tame. Normally, All right, I'll get my energy about like up three here. levels high. You're selling Bill Short. Come on, man. You, you set the standard. you got to bring this, like, full 10 enthusiasm to all your intros, Dad. There's, there's no cutting it back. But let's kind of get right into it. We, we want to go through this matchup of Seton Hall Providence with you. Thanks for being on. But unfortunately, we're back to that taboo word again called COVID, right? So we got to unpack it. we we got to break it down. The Big East just finally announced that they're going to be amending their forfeit policies and allowing teams to reschedule since the Omicron variant was proving contagious than everybody expected. But in your opinion, is that amendment enough of a successfully get through and navigate conference play? Sounds good on paper, but in practice, uh, I wonder will it fit all the games? Um, you know, I look at Providence. They have one postponement so far. That was against Georgetown. Uh, they have a couple clear breaks in their schedule in February and in March, but those don't correspond with Georgetown's open days. Um, so it would require changing you know, maybe up to three to four games just to get one extra game in. Um, you know, this th- these are questions for people who make a lot more money than me, who are a lot more organized than me, you know, when they'll play these games, who they'll play, where they'll be. Um, I do agree with, with you overall, though, Mike. It, it is unfortunate that we are back here at this point having this sort of discussion about the coronavirus and, and how much it's disrupting us. 
Well, yeah, I was looking at the schedule myself, right? They had that built in, I'm not sure if it was a week or two weeks at the end of the season last year in anticipation of all this to kind of have a slot to put people into their rescheduling windows. But there's also going to be a little bit of gamesmanship here, right? The, the policy allows for teams to reschedule, but only if both coaches want to. Are we going to see situations where one coach wants to play and another one doesn't? You know, a lot of coaches in the Big East like to speak about how they have good relationships with the others. I, I think that will be put to the test here uh, over the next two and a half months. Uh, that's, a, that's a very cynical proposed scenario you make, Mike. Uh, and my bitter, cynical heart loves it, personally. Uh, I, I think it's... <laughs> I think it's certainly a a possibility that if you have a coach who might have a couple virus exposures, but he also has a great player with an ankle injury um, and he's on the line for the NCAA tournament somewhere on the bubble. I've heard of more unscrupulous things in in college basketball. So I, I really hope it doesn't come to that. I I hope that the teams are healthy and able to take the court as scheduled. Um, But this is anything but a normal time as we've found out over the last 20, 21 months. All right, one more COVID question, then we'll get back more into the Friars program and this matchup uh, head-to-head. We talked about kind of is there enough to amend the uh, the rules going forward. I was kind of leaning more into paradigm of testing. You know, I, I thought the scheduling was going to be a challenge no matter what, but is the testing protocol okay? for? I think generally if you look at teams and, and you consider their vaccination rates, whether it's among staff or among players, um, if you have players testing positive, but they're asymptomatic, they're able to test out of the protocols much more quickly. Um, and I think that's why there was a big emphasis on that line of questioning at Big East Media Day um, and why it's been a, a pretty consistent line of questioning among some of the programs who've had some positives. You know, how many of your players are vaccinated? How many of your staff members are vaccinated? Uh, is there a chance that if you're asymptomatic, you can turn this around in, in a day or two or three? Um, you know, can you clear contact tracing if you're vaccinated and you show no symptoms? At that point, you wouldn't need to test. Um, you know, so I think, you know, just all the tools that we've had as a society to, to sort of get out of this and, and get it under some semblance of control, I think it's just going to be magnified on teams and, and incumbent upon them uh, to use everything at their disposal. I, I actually think, though, guys, that, you know, once we get through Christmas here, You've got the players isolated on campus generally for about a month. The, the general student body goes home. Um, and so you hope maybe that, yes, this is a bumpy start to conference play, but you hope that maybe by the time we get to the first week of January, the, the players are going to be in essentially what amounts to bubbles on campus. And we might be able to play three or four weeks straight uninterrupted and, and without any more you know, widespread COVID positives among programs. Oh, and then you hope that the weather decides to warm up and that will kind of lessen some of the spread as well. And hey, we get back into just talking about basketball. So Tom, take yeah. it away. Oh, thank you, Mike. I appreciate you letting <laughs> me get in the word in edgewise here. You know, Bill, so far this season, Seton Hall fans have got a lot to be excited about with how they how the Pirates have started. But the fans in Providence should be equally as excited. I mean, the Friars are 11 and one right now. A big 1-0 in Big East play so far. Thank goodness someone's playing in the Big East. They're ranked 22nd in the AP poll in Coach Ed Cooley's 11th season. But what shocked and kind of surprised us was that this was the first time that the program's been ranked since all the way back in 2016 when they were 23rd in the polls. Now, this seemed, like I said, shocking to us because... Of all the accolades, you know, Coach Cooley typically receives for building up a solid program. The program (laughs) is clearly in a better state now than it was previous to uh, Coach Cooley being there. But do you think the fans are starting to feel like they're running on a bit of a, let's call it a treadmill of mediocrity, as I read somewhere uh, regarding the program? I think right now what you've seen is them start a little quicker than, than they generally do. Um, you know, as teams generally come together over time, uh, they play a reasonable non-conference schedule. And, and, you know, and it's similar to Seton Hall's in that you have the Gavit games and you have the Big East Big 12 game. Those are always a challenge early. Um, you have a, a tough trip to Rhode Island every other year. Uh, you know, you go to the Ryan Center, that's certainly a road game for Providence, uh, a game that feels like a road game, you know, pretty hostile road game, even though it's in-state. Um, so there's generally not much opportunity to build momentum. This, this is the first time they've been ranked since 2015-16. It's also Ed Cooley's best start to a season. 
since that year. They were 14 and one uh, that season. They wound up eighth in the polls uh, and lost three of their next six as they got into Big East play. Um, you know, but you look at this team now, I, I think the pieces have fit together a little better uh, out of the gate than, than even they might have anticipated. You, you look at some of the guys that they brought in, whether it's Al Durham from Indiana, uh, Justin Manaya from South Carolina, those guys have given them not only experience, but you know, their varying skill sets fit well with what was left over. And that's obviously Nate Watson, A.J. Reeves, Noah Horkler. If, if you look at Ken Palm, you're talking about a top 15 team in the nation in terms of experience per minutes played. Um, you know, and so I think that that's paid huge dividends for them, whether it's, you know, building up some momentum in the summer practices, getting off to a pretty nice start here in the non-conference and carrying that into a good win at UConn. Um, you know, I just think they're a little bit ahead of typical schedule under Ed Cooley. We always say here we love ourselves some Ed Cooley and we give Coach Willett a whole boatload of grief. But, it, you know, if you really look at their career side by side, there's a similar arc to Coach Cooley's Big East career when you compare it to Coach Willard's. I mean, Cooley's got a conference title under his belt. He's got five NCAA tournament berths, but he's only got one victory in the dance. So at what point does Coach's legacy begin to get judged on postseason success? Yeah, I think we're there at this point. Um, you know, certainly for folks outside of Providence's program, I, I know the URI fans who have won two NCAA games uh, you know, since Providence made that Elite Eight run in 1997, they like to poke the Friar fans with that. They say, you know, you spend so much more and you beat us head to head, but you can't win in March. So what's the point? Um, you know, and that's certainly the the taunt that goes back and forth. Um, you know, I, I just think that generally, though, guys, you know, if you look at what Ed has done in, at Providence, he's turned them into a very solid middle class program in the Big East. You know, they're not Villanova. And, and I don't know if they have the ceiling of a UConn or somebody like that. Um, you know, I don't necessarily know if they can recruit at the same level that someone like Xavier or Creighton could just because of proximity, you know, because you do have more, more talent in Ohio and in the Midwest. Um, you know, but I think Providence, similar to Seton Hall, has really established itself firmly in that mid-pack in the Big East. And, and in a given year when things come together and guys play well, uh, they have a chance to be upwardly mobile in that way. Um, you know, and I, I certainly think that now, especially – with the transfer portal, I, I know there was a lot of apprehension about that coming in. Uh, you look at Ed Cooley and, and you look at Kevin Willard, they're not losing starters to the transfer portal. They're bringing in experience. They're bringing in guys who can help right away, guys who will spend a fourth or a fifth year with them. Um, you know, you get old, you stay old. I know Mike Bray has said that for a long time. I know that's something that that Ed would like to adopt. And, you know, I actually think that the, the portal gives him an ideal chance you know, bring in some recruits, some foundational type guys, freshmen, and develop them behind consistent fourth or fifth year guys who can take the floor for major minutes. All right, Billy, let's talk about fifth year guys. This entire team is experienced. It's eight rotational players are pretty much upperclassmen, and it all starts with kind of Nate Watson, you know, in the middle. So here's a guy, big boy, 6'10", 50 year COVID uh, returning again, almost 15 a game. Five and a half boards, preseason all-first team Big East. But as well as the team has been playing, Nate's numbers are down a little bit year over year. What's your evaluation of Nate's play so far to start the season? He gets all the attention. Uh, he's number one on the scouting report, and, and I think that's that's a huge progression for a player. I, I would imagine last year that would have been David Duke, um, you know, who's off to a, a pretty nice start with the Brooklyn Nets here. He's getting a chance to play. Um, due to some COVID absences there and, and acquitting himself very well uh, in his rookie year in the NBA. I think there is a change, though, when you go from that second line on the scouting report to that first one. Uh, you know, and I look at the way defenses play against Nate Watson. Uh, they'll double him on the catch in the post. Um, they'll force him to, to take the ball out of his own hands, uh, feed it back out to the perimeter. And, and I think, you know, it's up to Providence to, to maybe – yeah, maybe design some things a little better for him, whether it's a two-man game on one side of the floor and you clear out, uh, you know, maybe you get him a little cleaner post-up look. Um, you know, maybe he has to go a little quicker. Maybe he has to step out and take a baseline jumper. He made a couple of those at UConn. Um, but I, I think it's generally response to how defenses are playing him. 
Uh, and I think that you see some other guys having a chance to get off, whether it's Durham, whether it's A.J. Reeves, uh, whether it's Ed Croswell in a reserve role who's had double digits in three of his last five. Um, he doesn't quite get the attention, and he's a better offensive rebounder than, than Watson. So he's able to generate his own offense without plays being run for him. Um, so I just think mainly it's it's a function of defenses and the amount of focus that they're uh, dedicating to him. And you know, if I was an opposing coach, I'd probably do the same. You know, we like to joke around about Nate Watson. He seems like he's vying for that Perry Ellis 17th year senior right. role there. But, you know, another guy who seems to have been there forever is senior A.J. Reeves. He's having a good season, a little bit over 11 points, three rebounds, 2.2 assists. Uh, you know, I think in the past, we've almost compared him to like Miles Kale on our side, where we're hoping that Miles can finally kind of fulfill all those expectations that we've we've had for him. But is this the year that we're finally going to see A.J. Reeves fulfill some of that potential? I think he's the guy who raises their ceiling the most. If he plays well, I think he gives them the ability to be a second weekend team in the NCAA. You, you have to remember this is a top 60 recruit, uh, a guy who they fought really hard to get, who they got away from some power five schools and some other schools in the big East. Uh, you know, you look at their only loss this year was against Virginia. He went scoreless. He said double digits in five of his last six. He had 12 of his 16 in the first half against Connecticut made four three-pointers in the first half, um, is the best, most natural perimeter scorer they have, someone who can spread out a defense. And, you know, I think a lot of times, guys, when when people look at programs and they say, why haven't they done more in March? Um, you know, why haven't they done more with respect to reaching a Sweet 16 or an Elite Eight? It depends on your recruits developing and, and turning into pros. And you look at someone like A.J. Reeves, he was recruited in a similar area as someone like Aaron Neesmith, who ended up being a lottery pick for the Celtics out of Vanderbilt. They were similar in terms of the Rivals.com rankings. You know, they were between that 50, 60, 70, 80 area. Neesmith just happened to develop into a pro. And, and they've been waiting on A.J. Reeves to take a similar jump. And, and I think that he's the guy who is best suited to help raise their ceiling from the outside. And, and I think you're seeing him getting a little more comfortable and having a little more space to work as opponents dedicate a little more attention to Nate Watson and Al Durham. Well, but before we move on to Al, because I want to talk about Al, and he really seems to be the guy who's kind of making things go for them lately. But a guy like Noah Horkler is in a similar boat like Watson and Rees coming back to the program for a fifth season. But his numbers are just like a steady 80 kind of guy, you know, almost 10 points, eight boards, a couple assists, kind of more of like a glue guy. But I think it kind of goes under the radar. Talk about the value of a Noah Horkler on this roster. Yeah, an old man with a varied skill set can step out and make a three, uh, is a good rebounder. He's very athletic. Um, you know, you watch him run up and down the floor. He's very smooth, um, you know, longer than you might anticipate at 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, uh, you know, someone who has produced from the time that they went to him exclusively at the four spot, you know, maybe the last 10, 12 games last season, um, you know, sort of cashed in on Jimmy Nichols and, and decided he's in his third year. He's not necessarily going to get there. Uh, and establish a role as a starter or a 30-minute-a-game guy, um, you know, and turn it over to Noah Horkler. And, and he's been really good since then. Uh, you know, he was really tough in the win over Rhode Island, uh, you know, really gave them a hard time, made some big shots late. Um, you know, and it's the type of guy who you just need to pay attention to. Um, you know, he's not necessarily going to be great every night, but when his shot is falling and he's confident, uh, you know, I think the best example is probably the win over Northwestern at the Legends Classic. Um, gives you that extra three-point shooter in the front court. Um, you know, a guy that maybe if you're a little smaller in a lineup, if you're trying to play a fourth guy who's 6'6 six, six or 6'7, six, um, Horkler can exploit him because he's just as athletic and he's got two or three inches on him. He can take him inside or he can shoot over him from deep. All right. So all the rage right now, and you kind of already made it mentioned his name is is Al Dorm in 13 a game, you know, almost four assists, which is kind of surprising, but transfer out of Indiana, another player who's come back for his fifth year of uh, NCAA college basketball due to the COVID eligibility rules. And he's scoring double figures in his first nine games as a Friar. And he broke out with 23 against Texas Tech. So I turn on a Providence game here or there, and everybody wants to say that he's the X factor. 
but is there any concern that his three-point shooting is significantly down, only shooting 22% when he was in the high 30s with Indiana, and now also averaging almost three turnovers a game, which is also double his output at Indiana as well? Yeah, it's a good question. They, they'd certainly like him to try to get to the rim more often. Um, you know, and he has a pretty good mid-range game too. He also gets to the line quite a bit for a guard and, and is able to make his free throws. And that's made him a guy that, that they'd like to give the ball to down the stretch. I think the, the turnovers and, and maybe some of the outside shots have come with him playing at the point guard. Obviously, Jared Bynum suffered an ankle injury. He missed four games. And, you know, they turned it over to Al Durham. They, they could have gone to Alan Breed, who's a sophomore. Um, but they decided to, to go with the older option. And, you know, Durham in that case isn't going to score as easily with the ball in his hands. He, he's a little better off uh, playing off the ball. Um, you know, it's a little more natural for him. Uh, you know, but I, I think they were looking more along the lines of we want experience out there. We want ball security out there. Um, Providence committed seven turnovers at UConn, uh, you know, really starved the Huskies in terms of, you know, points off turnovers and trying to get out and transition, um, you know, and I think a lot had to do with the fact that, that Al Durham's been pretty steady with the ball in his hands. I, I think his scoring will be more efficient, and I think he'll get back to something that we saw earlier in the year as you see Jared Bynum get healthier um, and potentially Al Durham maybe pick up a few more minutes off the bench. You know, Bill, let's talk schedule a little bit. As you mentioned, the only loss so far on the ledger is a neutral site game against Virginia. But the Friars have picked up some big wins. I mean, the Big East really put the wood to the Big Ten this year as the Friars took care of Wisconsin in Madison. They've also beaten Texas Tech and UConn so far. So do you think this team has been battle-tested enough early on to go into that Big East play and get ready for that cannibalism that always happens? Yeah, a few things at play there, Tom. Uh, first, obviously, they've taken advantage of the opportunities they've had. Um, you know, obviously, you win at Wisconsin, you beat Northwestern on a neutral floor, you play Texas Tech at home. The first real game that the Red Raiders have played, they were a soft 6-0. They hadn't really played anybody going into that one. And, you know, you fall down by double figures early in the first half. And, and I think that's where we saw something we didn't have last year, the crowd sort of got involved and, you know, Texas Tech realized they're playing a real road game and, you know, sort of went cold from the field. And, and it was a scenario that we wouldn't have seen last year. Texas Tech might have won that game by 25 in an empty gym, um, you know, but the environment sort of changed going forward. Uh, you know, UConn, obviously, you, you go out against UConn and, you know, you take advantage of a team that's misfiring from three and, and couldn't necessarily score. Uh, you know, the other thing, guys, is, is they've had some things break for them. You know, you play Wisconsin without Johnny Davis. He's hurt. You play UConn without Adama Sanogo. He was hurt. Um, you know, so no shade on the Friars uh, in terms of the caliber of wins. They're still going to be there on Selection Sunday. They're still going to be excellent wins. Um, and they certainly could have lost both of those games. Uh, you know, full credit to them for taking advantage of a wounded opponent, a shorthanded opponent, uh, going out and taking care of business. Coming into this game, you know, both teams have come in, come off of pauses uh, for different reasons, obviously. Obviously, Seton Hall had the COVID pause, but the Friars ended up going on to a long break due to Georgetown going on a pause. So who, if anyone here, is at a larger competitive disadvantage coming into this game? I'm sure that, that Providence would have wanted to play a, a little sooner. Um, you know, you, you're in a nice rhythm and you're playing well and Georgetown was going to be a home game and, you know, you would have got a couple of days to go home for Christmas and, and maybe, you know, relax a little bit ahead of Seton Hall coming in. Um, you know, I think you, you planned for it. You know, you planned for the week off. It, it was on the schedule. It was there. Um, you know, and, and you, you guys know how meticulous head coaches are and, you know, strength and conditioning uh, coaches are in, in terms of workload and rest and practice and, and travel and game schedules and, and whatever else. Um, so I think Providence probably would have been a little more comfortable playing right away. Um, you know, I, I do think that the benefit will be that you can get Jared Bynum a little healthier. Uh, you know, obviously played 26 minutes against UConn the other day. Uh, that was his first game back you know, for about three weeks, uh, you know, so you're looking at a few more practices for him, maybe, uh, you know, a little bit more conditioning, uh, you know, potentially get him to the point where he could start a game here uh, in the next two or three. 
Um, you know, so certainly they get healthier in, in that way. Um, you know, I, I look at Seton Hall, though, guys, and, and, and I think Seton Hall had the same thing going on as the Friars. They had really nice momentum going. Uh, you know, we're playing really well in the non-conference, had some really gritty wins. Uh, you know, I don't think either one of these teams w- was really all that excited about having to reset considering the way they were playing to this point. You know, you did mention that Seton Hall probably didn't want to take a break here either, playing so well and so surprisingly well, to be honest. But what have you seen so far from Seton Hall that would give Ed Cooley concern? Well, it's in in some ways it is like looking in the mirror because Seton Hall is an older team, obviously. You know, Jared Roden has played a lot of big games. Bryce Aiken's finally healthy and playing well, which is wonderful to see. Uh, Alexis Yetna was a really productive player at South Florida. Uh, you know, and someone who deserved a bigger stage for a long time. Um, you know, obviously you you come out with Miles Kale and Jameer Harris, you know, two other guys who are just as old as can be. Um, you know, and Seton Hall has some really athletic pieces, whether it's, you know, Kadari Richmond, who didn't stick at Syracuse. I, I think that's a huge mistake by Jim Beheim letting him get away, uh, you know, in favor of some other guards. Uh, you know, he's super talented. Um, you know, someone like Trey Jackson is, is so athletic, on the wing, you know, transfer from Missouri, um, you know, who I know you or I was recruiting uh, among other programs, trying to get him away from the Tigers. Um, you know, so you're looking at Seton Hall and, and you know, I haven't even mentioned Ike Obiagu, um, you know, another Samuel just, too, and that covers everybody there, Bill. Well, I mean, it was just, <laughs> you know, so, so much in, in terms of experience there, um, you know, and, and so much in terms of, the test they've gotten already, obviously, you win at Michigan, uh, you win a really good game against Texas at home, and then they handled Rutgers. And, and the Scarlet Knights are a team that was in the NCAA tournament last year. Um, they take on the personality of their coach. They're, they're really tough and edgy and physical. Seton Hall made that look easy. Um, you know, so I, I think that, you know, they've been really good so far, um, you know, and they have, I think, more potential than some of Kevin Willard's other teams from the standpoint that they might have more answers here, certainly more depth uh, if they're able to stay healthy going forward. So that's where we like to transition next. Typically is we say, Hey, who's the matchup you like, but you kind of really broke down all eight guys that are going to see rotational time for Seton hall. And Kevin's like leaning on the depth of this team to, you know, be that X factor for the pirates. So does it come down to a particular matchup or is it really about Seton hall trying to limit Nate Watson going off in the post? Well, how much better can Kadari Richmond get over the course of the year? I, I think he's the guy who raises Seton Hall's ceiling. Um, you know, Bryce Aiken's a nice player, uh, an experienced player. You could imagine how good your team would be if he was your backup point guard instead of a guy who's playing 30 minutes a game. Uh, you know, if it gets to the point where Kadari Richmond is playing 30 minutes and using that length at 6-6 and is able to make a shot every once in a while and able to get to the rim and pick on smaller guards – uh, which he'll play against a few in the Big East, certainly against Providence. Uh, you know, he'll be the biggest guard on the floor. Uh, you know, I can't imagine that they're going to have A.J. Reeves try to cover him. Um, you know, he's going to be bigger than Bynum and Breed and Durham and, and could have his way, uh, you know, if he's mature enough and willing enough to, to try and test those guys. Um, you know, so I see that developing over time. Uh, you know, potentially how much better can he get over the course of the next 20, 25 games, uh, you know, can he emerge as, as a type of lead guard that could bring you into an NCAA tournament? Um, you know, how good is Jared Roden going to be? Um, you know, because that's a guy who, who I've, you know, really liked over the course of years. Is he going to play like a first-team all-conference guy? Because if he is, um, you know, that's the type of perimeter scorer that, that any team would like to give the ball to in the last two or three minutes of a game. Um, you know, is, is he going to be the type of guy – who can carry you down the stretch against an elite opponent in a tough road game. Um, you know, I think those are the two swing players for Seton Hall, you know, just from the standpoint that I think they have the highest ceilings, the, the two of them. And I think Roden is, is a lot closer to reaching his. And I think Richmond still has a lot of runway to go before he reaches his. Yeah. You're getting me excited here, right? I got, I got Kadari playing big minutes down the stretch. We know Willard loves Bryce Aiken as his alpha with the ball in his hands. He's not going to take Miles Kale and his experience defensively off the floor. Team all, uh, all Big East and Jared Roden. Sounds like they're going to go with four guards and maybe throw a Yetnin, a Tyree Samuel on a given night. 
Uh, you think the Seton Hall is going to end up playing more small, even though they have all the size on this roster? I think that's probably where their most quality is. Um, you know, and, and that's all due respect to, to Ike Biago, who, you know, no coach is going to turn down a seven foot two guy who can protect the rim, be big inside, who can rebound. Um, you know, but depending on matchups, if, if you're playing the team that's, you know, sort of five out like Villanova, does, does Obiago have a role in a game like that? No, you know, or but, should but, you... but of all matchups, isn't, isn't this game the, the Nate Watson matchup that best suits Obiago in the middle? No question. You're going to use his five fouls in this game. Um, you know, and, and, and that's definitely something that the teams will try to do to Watson. Uh, you know, if you have legitimate big guys, legitimate centers, um, you know, you're going to lean on him. Uh, for sure. You know, you think about Creighton with Ryan Kalkbrenner, you know, it's going to be similar. Uh, You're going to put the seven foot guy right in Watson's face, make it difficult for him to face the rim, um, you know, make it hard for him to try that little jump hook in the lane uh, or maybe to bull his way to the glass. Uh, You know, but I, I certainly think that, that there's some value as well at the other end of the floor. If Seton Hall wanted to go a little smaller, a little quicker, can you drag Watson away from the basket on defense? Will you force Providence to go into a two, three zone at some point, if you are smaller, uh, will that give you open looks from three? Um, you know, is, is it something that Kevin Willard would like to take advantage of? Now, Seton Hall doesn't shoot the three very well. Obviously they're much better from two, um, you know, but I would, I would look and I would say that he has options in terms of how he'd like to play against Providence. He has options in terms of guys who could give fouls, whether it's Obiagu, Yetna, um, you know, could even go smaller than that in a pinch, um, you know, potentially could put like a Trey Jackson on Nate Watson because he's so athletic. You know, maybe he could be a shot blocker in some way against him. Um, you know, I, I just think that it's nice if you're a coach and, and you have a chance to tackle something like that in different ways. It also prevents Providence from preparing a certain way for the game. All right, you gave me a whole bunch of different hypotheticals of how this could go in different ways strategically. I'm going to put you more on the spot. Give me two keys for Providence to win this game. Uh, don't turn it over like you did at UConn. You know, take good care of the ball. Um, you know, because Seton Hall, obviously, is, is going to be aggressive on defense. That's Kevin Willard's sort of MO. That's, you know, sort of who he is. Um, you know, comes from that, you know, Patino school where you guard the three-point line really hard. They're top 10 three-point defense nationally. They're going to be in your face out there. Um, you know, so don't turn it over. You you need to maximize every possession you have. Uh, you know, and the second thing, and I think we saw it against Virginia, is keep Providence out of the lane, um, you know, because they're really good from two-point range. That means Nate Watson is getting off. Uh, that means Ed Croswell is getting offensive rebounds and, and putbacks. Providence is not a great three-point shooting team. Um, you know, generally they, if they are scoring – it's going to be on the glass. It's going to be going to the rim. Uh, if Seton Hall is able to keep them out of the lane uh, and turn them over a little bit, I think those two things added up would make Providence's offense struggle on a given night, would give the Pirates a, a real good chance to steal a road win uh, in Providence. Steal a road win? We're going to be ranked 14th. You guys are going to be ranked, what, like 20, 22nd? I don't even think you're moving the rankings. Steal a victory. All right, give me one more key that Seton Hall has to focus on to steal this victory. Well, the only reason I say steal is because any road game in the Big East is going to be so difficult. With fans uh, now, right? With fans, it changes things again. Of course, of course. And and you expect to go 30 and, you know, 31 and 0. Uh, you know, right now it'd be 30 and 1. Um, you know, and I, I fully understand that. Um, you know, the, the other thing I think is, is, you know, what, what's Seton Hall going to do with the guard spots? Uh, you know, obviously, is, is Bryce Aiken going to stay healthy? Um, you know, can he stay healthy going forward? Can he respond against another fifth, six-year guy like Al Durham? Um, you know, is Kadari Richmond going to look like a young player who really hasn't been out there very much in a true road game? Um, you know, because I'm anticipating that, that we are going to have fans in Providence. I, I know it's going to be a little bit restricted in terms of masking and, and proof of vaccination, but um, that crowd has been a factor twice against Texas Tech and against Rhode Island, uh, you know, and I know that Seton Hall dealt with it well at Michigan, um, you know, winning a game against the Wolverines on the road. Uh, that's a real good test. And, and I think that that experience uh, bodes well for Wednesday night uh, when they go into another hostile environment. 
All right, Bill, we think we see where you're leaning to with all this talk of stealing wins, but we're putting you on the spot. Give us a prediction. I'm going to go Seton Hall, thin, super thin. I think this will come down to the last two minutes or so. Uh, you're going to need to see some of the execution that you saw, whether it was at Michigan or against Texas. I, I think it's going to be a similar type of game. Um, don't necessarily see anything pretty here. You know, probably go 66-63, somewhere thereabouts. I love it. Bill's the only one who gives his actual scores when we ask him for a prediction. He's like, I'm not only going to give you the result, I'm going to give you a rock fight. It's going to be a two-possession game down the stretch. <laughs> Good old-fashioned slugfest between uh, Seton Hall and Providence, just like we're used to. Yeah, I, I can't really see it any other way. I, I, these two teams, I, I know that they've played some lopsided games in Newark in, in recent years. Uh, you know, there's a blowout two or three years ago that sticks in my mind where, where Providence really got taken to the shed by the Pirates. Um, you know, but in this particular spot, with, with two teams coming off a of COVID pause and you know, theoretically fresh and, and healthy. Um, you know, I, I see them chomping at the bit and, and ready to go at each other. I uh, tend to remember the Miles Powell disappearances in Providence, though. It just seemed like those fans up there would get under his skin. Yeah, it's, you know, it can be a tough place to play. And and I know, you know, Ed Cooley has traded on that throughout his time at Providence. Uh, you know, I would imagine the crowd's going to be pretty good, um, you know, with the Friars being ranked and, and obviously with, with this being, you know, one of the headlining games in the season ticket package. Uh, you know, I, I certainly think that you're going to have some sort of environment there on Wednesday night. See, I was going to say that this rivalry has probably been a little bit undersold recently. I mean, you had the game last year go to overtime with Reeves hitting the three-pointer in the baseline. You go a few years back and you got Desi slipping on the wet floor at the dunk. And then Kadeen Carrington, you know, playing, I, I, I apologize for not knowing the local gym's name, but hitting that big three and putting them on their back to, to win the game on, their, uh, on the comeback the day later. I mean, to get Seton Hall back on track for an NCAA bid, there's been some key matchups you know, in this rivalry where the underranked team has gone in and pulled off the upset. So I just, we haven't had both teams playing at their peak. And this is the first time they've probably seen a top 25 match between the two of these guys going way back. No, I think it's a good point, Mike. And, and, and I think a lot of that is because they are in similar stations in, in the big East. I, you know, like we said off the top, if you're going to concede the top two spots to, to Villanova and to UConn year over year, just based on, who they are, what they can recruit, you know, how they're supported. Um, you know, these two teams would, would like to break into that top two. At the very least, though, they'd like to be right there, third, um, you know, and challenging those two. And I think that with the coaches you have at both programs, with the players you currently have at both programs, you, you could certainly see Seton Hall and Providence battling, you know, for one of those top four seeds, as you go to Madison Square Garden, the Big East tournament, and that makes these games head-to-head -head just that much more important when we see them twice a year. Is it fair to say that both programs are probably playing the best that they played simultaneously going all the way back to, like, Ryan Gomes versus Andre Barrett? You know, that'd be a good shout by you. I'd, I'd have to look at it a little more closely, but, you know, certainly just off the top of my head, I, I, I think that's pretty fair. And, and I also think that, you know, they have to this point they've had a lot to do with the start by the conference overall. Um, you know, you look at Providence was picked in the bottom half of the league, uh, you know, Seton Hall sort of, you know, certainly not picked in the top two. Um, you know, I don't think anyone had the pirates winning the league. Uh, you know, so certainly those two programs have had a lot to do with the big East strength as a whole, whether you look at the net rankings, Ken Palm, you know, bracketology, any metric that you'd like to use for March. Uh, you know, I certainly think that, these two programs have done a lot of the lifting to this point. Bill, we can't thank you enough for joining us here. You always bring great information and great energy. We wish you nothing but the best. Happy holidays, my friend, and we can't wait to talk to you again. Happy holidays, guys. Stay healthy. Be well. Well, Mike, hopefully Providence isn't the only game this coming week because we've got a New Year special against Nova, baby. Uh, I, I I probably should before we fast forward here to Nova, Tom. I mean, I I already given like Seton Hall undefeated run through Iona, St. John's, DePaul, and that that included Providence. 
in this little run up. Well, to you're the, not the, wrong. They were undefeated against these guys. They didn't lose. <laughs> I didn't expect Providence to be ranked going into that road matchup prior to Villanova. I got a little bit of a big head and didn't realize that, you know, Providence was going to continue their good string of basketball. I mean, they have a very similar resume to us with solid non-conference wins. They got off to a nice start with that UConn victory in conference play. But but the point is, you know, we, you can't take this team lightly. So I'm, I'm excited to go into Villanova, but they can't look past Providence at this point. No, like, not at all. And, and it's almost like mirror images too. You know, they've got a team that is older. They're more experienced. They're ready, man. It's it's a good looking team. Who would have thought? Who would have thought Providence would have been this good? And we certainly didn't think Seton Hall was going to be this good. Well, no, I mean, I tell you, you always root for the Big East and the out of conference plays. So that way it just bolsters your resume or, you know, bolsters the opportunities to get quality wins getting into Big East play. So they find a way to put together a top 25 road victory against Providence. That's a nice victory. I don't know about rooting for Big East teams, Mike, because it doesn't bother me in the least bit when I see Nova go down, especially when my better half is a Purdue fan and they uh, went down to boy. Purdue early this season. You can't be rooting against Nova. I you could root against Nova against anytime Nova. I want, man. I'll root against everybody. It's important as much as you take pleasure and then going down. You watch the games the way you want to. I'll (laughs) watch the games the way I want to. Okay, buddy. You want to admit it or not? Nova has been the flag bearer for the new Big East since they broke away from the old conference. They got two national titles without what they've done on a national scope for the Big East. Everybody else has been a mid-level seed or a last team into the tournament. So whether you want to see us take a step up over Nova or not, you still want Nova to be a premium part of the Big East success. And them going against some of the top programs in the country that they've lost so far this year, Purdue, Baylor, UCLA, that's not good. You don't want to root for Nova to lose there. The only bad loss out of those three games that you mentioned was that Baylor game. They took UCLA to overtime at Pauley Pavilion. They went deep into the game against Purdue. They had a lead late, and then they got they had them. Yeah, and then they lost it toward the end of the game. So these aren't bad losses, and you know. You know what? Nova does this every year. It's a little earlier this year than they do normally. They usually go through this little bad stretch where they lose two or three games and everyone's wondering, oh, is this the year Nova falls off? Mikey, this is why I don't root for Nova. They will write this ship. Let it. I hope they write it after January 1st. But they're going to write this ship nevertheless. I don't I don't know. I don't know. I don't think this is the Nova that we are grown accustomed to. They have a lot of similar names that are familiar. You got your Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels and Justin Moore is a, you know, a rising sophomore. But they lost a lot when they lost Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And this team is very, very guard heavy right now. They don't have the presence in the middle. I mean, Brandon Slater's been playing well, and Eric Dixon is getting more minutes this year, but they don't really have a front court or guys that are manning the middle. And, and I think that's what happened. I think Purdue and all their size just eventually wore them down in that game. So, I mean, I think Seton Hall has a better composition of their overall roster compared to this Nova team, Tom. This Nova team has flaws. You don't think so? Oh, without a doubt. And you know who hurts? You know, I think they were expecting Brian Antoine to finally be fully healthy and to be a big productive member of this team. Him getting hurt again does not help. How about a guy like Trey Patterson? You know, huge five-star recruit and what he's averaging five minutes a game and not really contributing yet. I mean, they they are really down to a six-man rotation. I mean, you got to look. To, uh, at their stat sheet and go, well, maybe Chris Archidiakono? The guy's averaging 13 minutes a game. Not another Archidiakono. Oh, not the my same. God. It's not the same, but they really only go six deep. I mean, not to pick on Chris, but I'm, I'm not scared of Chris coming off the bench and, and you know, he's like, he can handle the ball a little bit, but he's not going to threaten you to score six guys. And that's Eric Dixon. That includes Brandon Slater. That is. Caleb Daniels was still trying to find himself, you know, after he transferred in last year, they have really three go-to guys on this roster 
And if you could limit them behind the three-point line, I think this team is very beatable. You know what, Mike? I won't worry about Villanova. Every team needs to go through this. Let them go through it. So with that in mind, Mike, how do you see this week breaking? Oh, geez. It's still two top 25 matchups. And you're going to come crazy, but I'm I'm more worried about the game of Providence, believe it or not. Uh, I, I, I can't put my finger or, or a pulse as to how either game could go. I think because Seton Hall could win both. They could lose both. I think you're happy to get a split here. No? Yeah, I'm looking for a split here. And the last thing I want to hear is any complaints about the pause, any complaints about not being in sync after being off for almost 17 days. Go out there execute teams did this last year do it this year but you know what they come out with a one and one split i'll be excited like i i think it's going to come down to just seton hall really carrying over some of that extra attitude that they had in the Rutgers game and even parts of the texas game in the second half i think if you get the same tenacity from tyree samuel and from Alexis Yetna and really neutralize the other team's front court in the Providence matchup and also take it to Nova. I mean, Nova is really only rebounding, you know, 25 defensive rebounds a game, 36 overall, you know, uh, the bottom 50 percentile in the country and both of those stats go beat that team up. And I think if those two guys and you get the return of Obiagu in the middle and Kevin can find a way to balance the minutes, I, I like what we have in the backcourt to kind of take us home. I, I, okay, I'm going to get greedy now. I, I think they can win both. I think <laughs> oh, they can win both. My God. Mikey, you're mushing us again here. But like, okay. I'm, 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 I'm excited with what Tyrese and, and Yetna did in, in the last few games. And that's what this team was missing. I knew you were going to get somebody on a given night between Kale Roden, uh, Richmond, and Aiken to step up and carry the torch in the backcourt. I think you're going to get between, even if you throw Harris in the mix, you're going to get two out of those five guys to contribute on a given night. It was always the front court. That was the question mark. And they kind of sparked a lot of confidence in me. So yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll roll with it. But why can't we be the darlings of the big East? Why can't we be the hunted for the rest of the season? Top 10, baby. What a way to spend the holiday week, Mike. Hopefully two games. We're going to sit there, watch Seton Hall play at Providence and hopefully win. And then a new year extravaganza against Nova where we're going to be sitting there on the couch saying, go Pirates. Go Big Blue. Thanks for joining another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your other favorite listening platforms. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle at El Coast Pirates. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Gaharski, I'm Mike Desiri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. (laughs) 